gates open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo this Rogue podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. We've had some wonderfully talented horsemen and horsewomen on this podcast over the last few years, some of whom can be accurately described as legends. This week's guest is eminently talented, and he certainly reached legendary status a long time ago. He also happens to be a history maker. His name is Chris Alford. He's coming up 54 years of age and he's driven more winners on Australian trotting tracks than any rangeman in the history of the sport. Chris's magic moment came at Bendigo on August 30, 2019, when he led all the way to win the second race on a mare called No City Chick for trainer Kelvin Barker. That win took him to the staggering total of 7,000 career wins in 38 years of race driving. Since then, he's added another 600 wins to that tally and now has his sights firmly focused on the incomprehensible benchmark of 8,000. Chris is the son of the late Barry Alford, a former jockey who drifted into harness racing when he landed a job with the late Graham Lang. Chris left school at 13 to work with his dad, little realising that four decades later he would rewrite the record books. When you interview an achiever like Chris Alford, it's hard to know where to start and where to finish, but we'll give it a good shot. He often competes at Sunday meetings in Victoria, but today we've caught him on a rare day off. Chris, welcome to the podcast, and it's a delight to catch up. Yeah, good morning, John, and thanks thanks for having me. What does Chris Alford do on a day off? Um, yeah, try to be pretty casual, just spend a bit of time with the family, um, just feed the horses in the morning and, and uh, yeah, just, just hang out. And sometimes we get out and about, but not very often because there's always something to do at the farm or with the horses. And, uh, yeah, yeah just, try, just try and take it easy. Well, that farm you're talking about is a 40-acre property at Belinda near the Macedon Ranges and your wife, Alison, is a registered trainer. How many horses do the Alfords work? Um, oh, on the farm, there's probably 
about 20 to 25 horses, about um, a few of those are retired and a couple of broodmares and foals that we, we breed, tinker around with, and um, I think there's about 15 in work at the moment, which, you know, is a good number. We can get up to probably 20, but, um, you know, 15 is just nice. Mm. Alison gives the orders. And you and yes. Josh Duggan carry them out to the letter. Josh is a pretty good driver himself, Chris, and he freelances successfully in his own right down there. Yeah, he does. He came over from um, Tasmania as a, about a 16-year-old and um, he's 30, ne- 30 now, uh, so he's been there about 14 years. And, uh, mm. yeah, he's done a really good job. He, he picks up a, a lot of drives now and... Um, yeah, he, he, he's driven over 500 winners now, I think, so he's doing Good really on. well. Yeah. So apart from all the race driving, you could be driving four or five horses track work in a morning. Uh, so you, you're never away from it, are you? No, no, it's what what we get used to. Um, yeah, we, we, we'll sort of try and split them up, um, you know, half to jog and half to hobble every, each day. So there's not... You know, not too much pressure, just depending on, you know, whether it's day meeting or, or a night meeting. You know, night meetings are a bit cruisier, but, um, mm. yeah, no, we, we get through them pretty well and uh, runs pretty smooth. And what facilities have you got there at Belinda? Um, yeah, we've got a um, – oh, we've got a barn with eight boxes. Um, we don't try to box them very often. Uh, and then there's another six walk-in, walk-out yards, but we pretty much paddock train all the horses and, and they're happy there. Mm. Chris, getting to race meetings is the toughest part of all. You're probably not travelling as much as you were a few years ago and you're very fortunate to have seven tracks within about 70 minutes of your place. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, Dad was pretty bright when, when he bought the place. It was pretty central to, uh, as you said, well, I think there's, um, you know, Melton and Kilmore are our closest, like 40 and 50 k's away. But then mm. um, there's Geelong, uh, Bendigo, Ballarat, Cranbourne, Yarra Glen, you know, all within sort of easy hour and a quarter drive. Yeah, but you still do, you still do the odd double header. I think you were at Maryborough the other day, afternoon, and then at Ballarat that night. Yeah, that's right. That's a pretty easy one for us, really, because... Um, <laughs> They're only about 70 k's apart, so that that's probably the easiest one that we can do. That's nothing, eh, 70 k? No, no, that's that's just an easy drive. <laughs> well, your dad, Barry, drove all of his own horses until you came along as a serious driver, but until then he'd been a terrific tutor and he taught you a lot of good habits, Chris, which survive to this day. Yeah, that's right. He, um, he didn't really say a lot. Um, except when I got the times wrong on the track or, or something like that. He came down pretty hard, but mm. I think he just wanted me to learn the right way. And, um, you know, I think if, if you're not taught um, by someone that is, you know, pretty hard on you, you never really learn. And, uh, you know, he taught me how to get horses up and travelling and, and not, not get them off the bit, which was the main thing that he sort of drummed into me. you got to try and have the horse feeling good all the time if possible and, um, yeah, I think it's reaped the rewards down the track. Mm. It was a tough time for you when your dad uh, passed away succumbing to the ravages of long-term diabetes. Did it very tough the last few years, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, he he got really crook in the end. Um, he sort of lost his eyesight, uh, which was the main reason he gave up driving altogether. And um, yeah, then with the diabetes, it, it got to his kidneys, and he ended up having to have a transplant with my mum actually, and uh, mm. that worked for a while. But then, yeah, in the end, it, it got him, and um, sadly he passed away. Mm. What age was he? Uh sixty-two, I think. Yeah, too young. Yeah, way too young. Yeah. Would have been nice to still have him around now. Ah, wouldn't it? To to see these incredible landmarks that you've achieved and another one coming up, 8,000, not too far off. Yeah, hopefully. um, Hopefully we get there one day. Um, Might take a bit longer than than what I'd like because, you know, probably not going quite as well this season um, as I had in the last few years. But, um. Still ticking over the winners here and there, so all's mm. good. You made up your mind very early in life that harness racing was your future. In fact, you left school very early, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I got a special um, compensation or whatever you might want to call it from the government that I could leave mm. um, as I had a you know a job and a, a future lined up. And, um, yeah, just left, left school and... All my friends and and even you know football and stuff like that give all that up and mm. just went full time with the horses, which I can't regret now. No, you can say that again. October the second, nineteen eighty four, Chris was a very important date in your scrapbook. You went to Wangaratta with your dad. You had two drives, Spring Vance and Crown Lager. They both won, and a brilliant career was underway. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a surprise, really. I think it was about my fourth drive um, in a race, and I, I remember I drew one, and Wangaratta was a tight little track, and um, I was supposed to lead, but somehow got crossed at the start and mm. um, hit the panic button, didn't know what was going on, and thankfully at the top of the straight, the leader rolled off the track, and we got the inside run and, mm. and won, and... Uh, and I think it might have been the very next race. Yeah, a little horse we had called Crown Lager. He uh, mm. he won as well, so got a double. Um, you know, straight after my first winner, so it was a great way to start. You had to wait a year though before your first city winner came up, and that was a horse called Tempest Neva in a Quali, a qualifying stakes at Mooney Valley. Yeah, yeah, back in 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 yeah, our junior driver time, sort of like. John Caldo and myself, we started together and you had to have driven um, around the country for 12 months before you could um, get to Mooney Valley. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a big thrill, um, you know, turning up at the valley and driving a winner. That one of the best things you'll ever feel, I think. Yeah. Have you missed Mooney Valley, Chris? Yeah, for sure. Like um, it, the atmosphere and just the, the setup there was just, you know, so good and, um, you know, being right in the middle of the city virtually, it just, yeah, it was like nothing else. Like Melbourne's a good good place and all that, but it'll never have the feel of Mooney Valley. No, that amphitheatre effect created a incredible atmosphere. It's the same on Cox Plate Day. Yeah, it's, it, and, and if you look, it's probably a bit like how Harold Park was um, mm. now compared to Menangle. It's sort of... The angle's good, but it, it's no Harold Park. No. It wasn't long before you were very much in demand as a freelance driver. 
and you didn't care how far you travelled to drive a winner. By crikey, you covered some ground in those early days. Yeah, well, that's just the nature of the, the game. You know, you've got to uh, go where where the people want you to drive. Um, you can't really be picky and choosy. Like, the jockeys, I think they get it pretty easy. Like, I was good mates with Craig Williams, and, like, he, he might ride just Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, just pick the main meetings where we, we mm. don't have that luxury. We've got to go yeah. everywhere and drive for the people that want us to drive. And, um yeah, if you don't put in that effort, well, you're not going to get anywhere. No, you're aware Craig rode the Doncaster winner in Sydney on Saturday? Yeah, I saw that. I, I don't follow Gallops a lot, but um, I still follow him a fair bit and, and all the big races. So, uh, yeah, he's done a, a, an amazing job in his career. And what a friendly, warm human being he is. Yeah, no, he's a great fella. Like, he, he'd come up have tea at home or if I was when I was in Cranbourne doing track work I'd go and stay at his place with his mum and dad so yeah they're great yeah. people you haven't had him in the cart yet no no I think you're a bit, bit scared for that a bit, bit too precious <laughs> do you now Brian Gath was one of your role models in that early era what a competitive driver he didn't like getting beaten did he no he uh, he sure has and still does have all the little tricks. Um, he was very hard to get past, and, uh, yeah, I always looked up to him when I was young. I remember I watched a race with, I think, Popular Elm and Gamalite might have been in it and mm. um, stood down on the grass with him outside where we used to come out of the driver's room and uh, give me a pat on the head, and, and he said, you know, this will be you one day out there, and as it turned out, he was right. He certainly was. What about uh, Brian Gath? He drove a horse not long ago in the Inter-Dominion Trot Grand Final at Menangle. He's 75 years old. Yeah, not wrong. And um, I think he had another couple of Group 1. He just got run down in a Group 1 at, at Melton. Um, might have been the Queen of the Pacific or something like that, you know, mm. this year. So yeah. to be doing what he's doing at that age, it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, he's still pretty fit and um, hopefully I'm still going as good as he is when I get to his age. Would it be fair to say that a little bit of Brian Gath style rubbed off on you? You've got that same never-say-die attitude, haven't you? Yeah, well, you've sort of got to, got to be like that and um, you ever go out there complacent, it's probably the time to give it away. You and the great Gavin Lang were contemporaries and I imagine you would have travelled together to many of those early meetings. Yeah, for sure. We we weren't we weren't um, far apart, sort of in Melton compared to here. And I'd pick him up on the way, or he'd pick me up on the way if we were going to sort of long long distance places. And um, mm. yeah, we always had, always had a good banter. He he loved a little chat and to tell a story. That's for sure. Mm. You and Gavin were the most dominant drivers in Victoria for a lot of years. Your styles were different but you were both champions in your own right. How intense was the rivalry? Um, yeah, off the track it was really good, but on the track, um, yeah, it sort of we'd go at each other a bit. Um, we had a bit of a Barney one night at Ararat. He wasn't happy with something I did, and I think Noel and, Noel and Jane were um, – getting on his nerves a bit because he used to drive for him and then I, I took over from him and uh, mm. 
yeah, we had a bit of a scuffle in the drives room and someone put him in and he, he got suspended for a while and um, <laughs> we, we probably didn't talk for about 10 years and then oh dear. Um, and then on the track then it was really um, Biffo. <laughs> oh, it's one of, one of us didn't, didn't die or something the way we used to race there for a little while. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, then after that, for about the last 15 years of his life, we were back to being best mates again. So uh, all things all things happen for a reason. And, um, mm. yeah, you know, that was terrible what happened to Gavin. And, uh, yeah, I miss him a lot. He left a great legacy. <coughs> oh, yeah, you know, um, so many um, people, you know, know how good he was and, and the way he used to you know, treat horses was just unbelievable and, uh, you know, there'd, there'd be no one else like him again, I don't think. Andrew Peace was a driver you admired greatly. He did the impossible one year. Do you remember him winning two premierships in the same season, Harold Park and Mooney Valley? Couldn't believe yeah, it possible. That that was amazing. Um, you know, the I know a lot of the the uh, miles would have been on planes, but mm. still do... Um, you know, win one premiership. Some people never get a chance to do that, and to win both Metro premierships in a year is just unbelievable. Really, they had, you know, some of my favourite early horses were horses from their stable, like Man of the Moment and the Guest of Honour, and mm. um, the way they turned their horses out and raced, they were just amazing. Teddy Demler was a great favourite, and so was John Caldo, who you've already mentioned. In fact, you and John have had a Long and enduring friendship. Yeah, we've been, as we said, we sort of both started off together as 16-year-olds and, um, yeah, we're still best mates now. You know, not many careers you can you can have the longevity that we've had and still be mm. going, you know, pretty good actually. Yeah. You tell me Victoria boasts some great young driving talent at the moment and you're pretty impressed with this young fellow, James Herbertson, who's leading the Victorian Premiership as we speak. Yeah, no, he's pretty polished, James. He does his form and he, he drives really well. Um, he's got a, a good attitude, which is, you know, um, the main thing, I think. He he doesn't seem to be sort of smart-ass or anything like that. He, <laughs> he's pretty polite and, you know, some of the kids get a couple of winners and they get an attitude, but uh, mm. he seems to be keeping a lid on it pretty well at the moment. Mm. I think he'll, uh, you know, be up there for, for a lot of years to come. Now, talking about form, Chris, uh, you wouldn't have time to, to be swatting form at home, I wouldn't think, or are you relying mainly on observation? You're going around so often. Um, I For a lot of years, I just um, did it myself. I just... Uh, you know, sort of know what what my first. I always know what my horses can do, but um, just to know, I, I can sort of look at a horse that I saw race last week, and I can just notice that it's got different gear on and stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah. in the last couple of years, I've had a, a professional guide. He does all the trials and um, writes me a summary of things that. Um, of the races I'm driving in and, and what he mm. thinks will happen and, and stuff like that, which is a really big help. I'll say, and very professional. Yeah. Your first major race win came courtesy of a horse who would later take you to another level. 
it was the great Golden Rain who would finish his career with a record of 28 wins, 20 placings and 1.2 million, and that's a long time ago. You were just 24, Chris, when you won the Australia Gold two-year-old final at Harold Park, Golden Rain, beating your idol Brian Gaff, who drove a horse called The Specialist, and it was a tight finish. Yeah, it was. Um, I do remember that one vividly. Um, you're, I guess you always remember your first big race, but um, yeah, I think that night he, he was about 50 to 1 and, and Brian was on the favourite and uh, I remember we were three back on the rails and um, got out late and f- flew home and uh, I think that's about the first time I actually ever cried coming back to scale in a race. <laughs> Haven't done it since, hey? No, I don't reckon, but um, <laughs> I, I reckon I did that night, yeah, for sure. Oh, good on you. Proves you're human. Yes, yes, <laughs> but he, he he was a great horse. Um, yeah, well, I'm not sure. I think he got beaten in the, the semi-final the week before. That might have been why he was such big odds, but um, yeah, yeah, he, he just went on with it from then, and uh, as you said, he was a super horse. You'd finish up winning 26 races on Golden Rain, including a Victoria Derby, an Australian Derby, Tasmanian Pacing Championship, Truer Memorial, Victoria Cup and the Inter-Dominion Grand Final at Addington. Now let's look at the Inter-Dominion heats that year, Chris. He beat Choken in the first round. Yeah, that was... uh, um, I don't think many New Zealand people sort of had much idea about how good he was and Chokin was the pin-up horse and uh, I remember he led and we went around and sat outside him and, and beat him and, uh, yeah, it was just like stunned silence from the, the grandstand. Like, I don't yeah. think anyone could believe it actually. But then uh, when as the series went on, I think they, they grew to love him and yeah, he got an amazing reception when he won the final. Yeah. Now the second heat... All hell broke loose early when Sinbad Bay galloped. They went in all directions. You got the backwash and you were never in the race. He didn't earn a point. No, that was a really bad night. Um, I think we drew inside the back row and we decided to stay on the fence and and, uh, Sinbad Bay, as you said, galloped and wiped us out and we got nothing and uh, things were looking pretty grim. I think he had to either win or run top two to make the final, actually. Mm. So there was a lot of pressure going into the last night, that's for sure. Yeah, and there was a pretty good horse in your heat on the last night called BBC, but you got him. Yeah, I think it was a really wet night too. I think the, the skies opened up and um was just pouring rain and um, he just went around and ground him into the ground and, and got the money and made the final, which was what we mm. needed to do. Well, Chris, your composure under pressure and your ice-cold nerve has never been more prevalent than it was in the grand final of that Inter-Dominion. You were last turning up the back the last time behind some great horses. You had to get going at the 800, but he hadn't spent a penny up until that point. So you were confident he'd sustain his run, couldn't he keep coming? Yeah, well, a lot of people sort of didn't realise, like, we used to drive him tough, um, but he also had that speed when he needed it. And um, as you said, he was last turning into the back straight, probably about the 900. And as I went to make a move, I think 
Tony Hurl, he might have pushed him out four wide and mm. just went, oh, well, boy, it's time to go and lit him up and, um, you know, to see a sustained turn of speed like that for 900 metres is oh, yeah. pretty rare. Like there was, I think there was five horses that had won a million dollars in that race mm. and we're talking 25 years ago. So, uh, oh, probably even longer now. Um, yeah. And and what he did, you, you just don't see that anymore. Not in you know free for all grade. They're all so even now. Yeah. Um. But what what he did that day, you know, it, I don't think it'll be re- replicated again. No. Well, he beat Victor Supreme and Young Mister Charles on the on the night or on the day. But there was a sensation the following week when the second and third horses both returned positive swabs and were disqualified from the placings. That took a bit of gloss off it. Yeah, it wasn't probably the best look for the sport. Um, yeah, you, you don't like to see that anywhere, really. And, uh, you know, it didn't take anything away from his win, but um, probably made it even better because he beat a couple that were, you know, souped up a bit. Yeah, exactly. That did make it better. Yeah. You know, Golden Rain was in the care of one of the sport's earliest training partnerships, Noel Alexander and Jane Davies. Although I think Noel stayed home, didn't he, and let Jane take him to New Zealand? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, Noel was there. I think for the final, final but yeah. Jane, Jane, Jane did a lot of you know she did all all the real work with him, and um, uh, yeah, she she was the backbone of that horse. Like she made him what he was. Yeah, Noel was one of those trainers who found it impossible to keep his frustrations to himself at the races. <laughs> if he happened to be unhappy with one of your drives, you'd know about it before you got out of the bike, and so did anybody else who happened to be within earshot. Uh, that must yeah. have rattled you on occasions. Uh, yeah, it, it sort of did, but I think Noel um, had the, the theory that um, if, if he had me like half scared, I would concentrate better and, and drive better, <laughs> I think. I think the first night he actually gave me a proper serve, come out and won the very next race or something. So yeah. I think he thought that might have been the trigger to keep me on the ball. And, uh, mm. yeah, Mooney Valley, we had some pretty big Barneys. Oh, well, I, I didn't really get to say much. I just had to listen. And, um, yeah. yeah, I think in the end people, uh, if I got beat on one, they'd be just waiting for it so they could have something to watch for a while. Yeah, a bit of entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, despite the enormous success you enjoyed with the Alexander Davies stable, you eventually felt the need to move on. Uh, you drove one for them from time to time, but you started to freelance and very successfully. Yeah, it sort of it got to that stage where, um, you know, they had a great team for a lot of years and um, the problem was um, – I. What wasn't a problem. It was just the the setup. Is I had to drive every horse or none. Like they were good to me. They if people sent them a horse and said they wanted someone else to drive it, they they said, well, Chris is our driver. He drives it or it doesn't come mm. here. And mm. they were good like that. But in the end, um, I was starting to get some good drives. So like Dean Braun had good horses and Tonkins had good horses. And it just come down to the to the fact that I'd be driving one of theirs and it'd be a dollar fifty mm. and 
Noel and Jane's horse in the same race would be a hundred to one, and I'd still have to drive the hundred to one shot. Mm. And in the end, I just said, "Look, oh, the, the, it's a funny story because I just dwelled on it for days and days and days after the fields come out, and um, Noel and Jane had a horse in at Mirabara, and and Tonkins had one in it as well, and I just didn't sleep for a couple of days because I knew I wanted to drive." the other horse and yeah, yeah. I eventually rang Jane and said, look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to drive this other horse. Jane sort of had a bit of a bit of a meltdown Melt about yeah. it. And <laughs> I said, Jane, your horse is 50 to one. I said, this other horse, it'll just win. I'm going to drive it. Oh yeah. So eventually I went to Maribor and drove that day. Their horse might have sat three back the fence and ran last. And the horse I drove was guaranteed. So, yeah. um, and that's sort of where it's at. And then I just said to him, look, if you want to keep someone to drive the whole team, that's fair enough, but I can't do it anymore. No, no, no. And, just... and they were good about it and we, we still get on great and um, they've yeah. scaled right down now, but um, drive one for them now and then, which is good. Mm. There's only one other horse you rate the equal of Golden Rain, and that was Lenny the Shark, with whom you had an amazing association. He raced 82 times for 39 wins and 32 placings and a cool $3 million. John Justice had him initially. John won nine with him, including the New South Wales Derby. Then he went to David Aiken and you became his regular pilot. You won 32 races on Lenny the Shark. Now let's look at the highlight, Chris, beginning with the 2015 Perth Inter-Dominion Grand Final. You're death-seated. The last four quarters were 30 dead, 28-8, 27-4, 28-4, and he was gallant. Yeah, no, he, he was a great horse. And um, I think I actually won a heat of the Victoria Derby on him when um, John had him. Oh, did you? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not sure what happened. I think he, he broke down or something and then went to – Ended up with David, who had him for the rest of his career. And, mm. um, yeah, we went to Perth, and um, he won that final. I think he won his first two heats. And then uh, I think Lover's Delight beat him in the last round, only by head. Mm. Um, but we probably went a bit steady because um, we were already through to the final and just went around, sat outside him, and, and couldn't quite mm. pick him up. But, um same thing came in the final. He drew to lead, lover's delight, and we were always going to be parked outside him. And, mm. um, you know, just talking to David and the owners, Kevin, and that before the race, we sort of decided that um, we probably had to make the lead time a little bit quicker um, in the grand final to beat him. Mm. And um, I think we went about a second and a half quicker in the, the final for the lead time. And mm. as, as history shows, he sat outside him and, and beat him. So. Mm. Um, all plans came to fruition and, uh, yeah, it's just one of those great moments that you never forget. He beat Smolder ahead in the 2016 Victoria Cup. What are your recollections of that win? Uh, yeah, that was a great win. I remember um, he drew seven and um, he came out of the gate flying and um, across Smolder pretty easy, but probably by a length and a half, but there was a horse in the middle and uh, couldn't quite get across it, but we got halfway around the first turn and 
put the foot down and he got across Smolder and he always travelled well, but um, Smolder gave him a big scare late and, and he held on by a head, thankfully. I remember because mm. I had a GoPro on the cart and um, I something had, oh, yeah, halfway up the straight, I dropped one of the reins and oh, God. Yeah. But thanks, thankfully he held on. Not like you to drop a rain. No, I don't know what happened there. I <laughs> just got a bit excited, I think. Well, it was a Victoria Cup for crying out loud. Yeah, true, true, but you know, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. But uh, thankfully, it was the the um, outside rain and not and not the one that I needed to steer him with when he was always wanting to run up the track. Mm. Chris, ninety nine percent of harness drivers sit on the loose ends, the loose ends of the reins, which is a uh, you know, a safety factor in itself. But yeah. you still see the odd driver who doesn't do that. He has the reins loose in both hands, throwing them at the horse in a tight finish, and it, it makes me very frightened that uh, it, it's so easy to drop a rein. Yeah, well, it can happen. Like I said, it happened in the big cup. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh... But I think the reins that I, we had that night, the the American one loop ones, and they have a buckle on the end of the reins with a little bit of string, and you hook that over your thumb. Oh yeah. Um. So that was pretty lucky that night. But yeah, it can be a bad thing dropping a rein. That's for sure. Mm. Well, Lenny was just nosed out by Have Faith in Me in the 2016 Miracle Mile, but 12 months later, he squared up with the Purden Camp by winning the mile from Smolder, our Lazarus and our Waikiki Beach. You think this might have been his best ever performance, 149.2? Yeah, I think so. I don't think the time's really relevant. Like the year before, he, um, as you said, he he, he sat 1-1 and um, it was a real hectic race. I remember, I think it was Arms of an Angel might have led and we – we went the first half in about 53 and they were all off the bit and I just had to go a little bit early because bow tight in front of me was starting to give ground real quick and um, mm-hmm. he hit the front, he was there, he was there, he was there and just got run down right on the line and that was, you know, pretty shattering really. Um, yeah. And they went 47 and a piece um, and to, like I think that was about my fourth, I think, Golden Rain ran third and Taylor Made ran a second and a third. So mm. another second, I just couldn't sort of crack a miracle mile. But mm. um, as you said, the next year he come out and he was right at the top of his game. He he sat parked and, and had Lazarus hard on his back. Smolder was behind the leader and, and he mm. got the inside run, but he just fought him off. He, was, he wasn't going to lose that one. Yeah, probably his best. I would say so, you know, like mm. you see what Lazarus did when he went to America and things like that, and he's turned out to be a sire now. And, mm. um, yeah, it was really exciting to see. I don't know it beat me, but um, Lenny's second ever starter um, won at Bendigo. So that was, mm. that was you know, to drive horses that, you know, end up going on to be sires is something pretty special, I reckon. Mm. When was that, Chris? Uh, just Bendigo, like a couple of days ago, I think yeah. it was called Heathburn Bruce. and sort of raced a bit like Lenny. I was sitting outside it and yeah. it was sort of throwing its head around and wanting to run in and run out. But, um, mm. yeah, it got home in 56. So I'm pretty sure he's going to leave his stamp on a few foals, that's for sure. Well, that's good news. 
Well, he won another Victoria Cup in 2017 and then he retired to stud with seven Group 1s on his CV. You've always rated tailor-made Lombo the best mare you've driven. Listen to this. She raced 110 times. This is a mare we're talking about, not a seasoned old gelding. 49 wins, 25 placings, 2.3 million. You won 35 races on tailor-made Lombo, including the Australian Derby, Ladyship Mile, Queensland Pacing Championship, and that's the night she beat Courage Under Fire, who was right at the top of his game. Yeah, for sure, John. She was, yeah, she, she was nearly like a boy that was a girl. Like she, she was just so strong and so fast. And um, mm. she was like that right from when she was a two-year-old right to when she finished. Um, she she beat like Christian, uh, not Christian Cullen. She ran second to Christian Cullen in that Miracle Mile. Yeah. Um, she, she beat Elsa Vancelot, who won three inches in a, Tassie Championship, and as you said, Courage Under Fire, she um, give him a start and, and ran him down in Queensland. Like, you just mm. don't see mares, mares in that grade do things like that. Yeah. You know, Glenn Boss was telling me, Chris, that Maccabi Diva, who won three consecutive Melbourne Cups, as you're aware, yep. was not a delicate feminine female. Boss, he said... She was an absolute beast, <laughs> is the yeah, word well, to use. Like, well, that, I mean, yeah, Taylor made Lombos like. prob- in the same category, wasn't she? Yeah, pretty much. You, you, if you looked at her, you wouldn't know that she was a, a mare. She was a big, strong thing, and she wasn't pretty or anything like that, but, mm. man, she could run. Yeah. Taylor made was raced by one of Australia's most influential owners, Mick Lombardo, and so was Lombo Lafifi, a mare you drove to 20 wins. She was a wonderful juvenile filly, wasn't she? Yeah, she was just a speed machine, that one. She, um, yeah, I think she won Bathurst and she she won so many good races. But um, getting back to Mick, I remember when I first started driving for him, you know, he was pretty gruff and um, he loved his horses. And I think I led on one. Uh, Lombo La Paris one night and mm. I must have kicked at the top of the straight and the thing come off me back and, and beat me mm. and um, next thing Noel's ringing me up said uh, Mick's just been on the phone he wants a check for 25000 that you just cost him getting beaten that oh race. dear yeah so uh, yeah we, ha- we had a pretty funny start to our relationship but mm. uh, he was he was a great breeder and, and had great mares and um, you know Fifi she was super from two and, and ended up winning, you know, in the Dominion Heat, so she raced right on as well, which was yeah. amazing. Another marvel. Gee, uh, I'm a bit late getting to a commercial break. Chris, on the podcast, we'll clear this and we'll be back with Chris Alford in just a moment. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much-needed initiative to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness, and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. The support group is headed up by the very 
very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain Colin Watts, and a sports psychologist Oliver Britt. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The Northwest, Leanne Flower. The Western Districts, Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. If you need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help. www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400 984 193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate. My special guest is champion rangeman Chris Alford. Mont Denver Gold wasn't in the same class as Lenny the Shark and Golden Rain, but he gave you just as many thrills because he was trained by your dad, who was struggling with his health at the time. Now, Chris, he was a class two horse when you got him from another stable. He was a revelation, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, um, you know, pretty amazing. I remember Jason, his owner, rang me up to go and pick him up one day and I got him and another horse, which was uh, called Land Speed Record, and he, he was supposed to be the better one, but um, mm. he had feet problems that and won a few, but never sort of got to where he could have gone. But, um, yeah, Mont Denver Gold, we, we got him, and he was, at, at, as you said, a, I think a C2, and within six months mm. he'd um, won the Melton Plate and, and ended up winning the Hunter Cup, mm. um, ran second in and uh, into Dominion, third in the Victoria Cup. He, he was a great little horse, yeah. so much speed. That Hunter Cup you're talking about was a stand, of course, and it was a horrible start. There were horses going everywhere. You were drawn wide on the front, and this is one of your best drives, mate. Allow me to say this. Uh, you finished up three pegs. Yeah, yeah, it was probably a good spot to be. I think um, he, he was a bit of a a fractious horse being a classic Gary and he'd only um, qualified uh, from a stand the week before the Hunter Cup at the trials. So uh, mm. it was going to be hit or, hit or miss whether he went away and um, drawing seven was probably a blessing. He sort of scrambled a bit and a few others mm. missed it and gaps opened up and he, he did lob three back the fence, which was the perfect spot for him. He just loved the rails and, yeah. and sitting on speed and, um, once he got that gap at the top of the straight, he, he really motored to the line and, and held off another great horse in Smooth Satin. Yes, he was charging too on the line, wasn't he? Yeah, he nearly got us, but yeah. fortunately we hung on. As ill as your dad was, uh, there was no way you were going to keep him away from Christchurch for the Inter-Dominion, and what a wonderful two weeks he had. Mont Denver Gold won a heat. He ran second in another, third in another, and suddenly you're in the grand final and you put him where he loved to be. Four pegs smothered and the split came late. Yeah, he um, did have a really good series and it probably suited him because we always just drove him quiet and just saved him for a 200-metre sprint. And um, the big straight at Addington sure did help him. He was, you know, just had four back the pegs in the final and, uh, he really motored to line, just couldn't quite catch Baldy Kegel, but um, yeah, it was a huge thrill, and, and to mm. have Dad there was just oh. extra special. He won another four races later, but he never really captured that elite form again, did he? No, not really. He sort of, I don't know what happened. He just sort of 
got to that stage where the races weren't panning out for him and because you had to drive him for luck, it just sort of avoided him for the rest of his life, really. He sort of went to Auckland for the other inter and kept drawing bad and then he went to Perth and same thing happened again. So, uh, you know, we were proud of the job he did and, um, you know, always on the search for the next one like him. Yeah, you don't find them every day of the week. Not wrong, but that's what I mean. Like, you, we mm. never in our widest dreams expected him to do anything like that. And uh, no. so you don't know where they're going to come from. you just got to keep trying and, and hope they turn up. Now, here's one, and a lot of people will be surprised by your assessment of this particular horse, Blue Eagle. You tell me he was one of the fastest horses you've ever driven. He was part-owned by race caller Brian Markovic, who actually called him home in the 1995 Victoria Derby, and Brian was quite excited when they hit the line. Oh, yeah, the Derby's ours. <laughs> yeah, that's cro- right. Call I'll never forget. But, yeah, he, uh, just for point-to-point speed, he, he was, it was more like a, he was built like a thoroughbred, and mm. that was probably his problem why he ended up, you know, breaking down and, and not sort of racing on. But um, the speed he showed, like when he won that derby and that, he, he didn't have much luck. He got, you know, held up and got a run through the field. But when he got the run at the top of the straight, he, he just exploded. Like yeah. he, he could he could run, you know, quarters in better than 25, Yeah, you know, when, when he was at his best. Mm. In recent years, you've had a tremendous association with the Emma Stewart Clayton Tonkin stable, for whom you drove several classy horses. I think your favourite was Poster Boy. You won 18 on Poster Boy, a Vic bred two year old and three year old, the Derby here in Sydney, the Chariots at Menangle, the Bonanza at Melton, and he ran third in the Miracle Mile to Spankham. What a terrific little horse. Yeah, no, he, he was just. You know, like driving a little little Ferrari, he just had that much speed. He was um, so beautifully gated, and um, he started off his career with a with a bad run. We thought he'd go really well at Menangle, and I think he ended up getting parked. And they went fifty one his first start as a two year old, and then mm. from then on, he just blossomed. And yeah, he was a super horse. I think he would have. I think he was like favourite for the four-year-old size as well, but had to get scratched because something went wrong. But um, mm. yeah, he's he's he sort of had he wasn't tough, but he was so fast as well. He he um, won the chariots like a really good horse, and same with the Derby. And mm. you know he he's gone to stud now, and I'm sure he'll uh, do a great job. Mm. Well, Chris, people listening to us will want me to ask you the following question. You are universally known as the puppet because of your distinctive driving style. Now, when you're driving a horse to the line, you tend to hold your hands fairly high as you work the reins over the hind quarters of the horse. And for all the world, there could be a puppeteer controlling you. <laughs> Where did that name come from? Um, yeah, it just, it was a. a, a, a when I was back a bit young, um, I don't even think I had a car license and I had to get a ride somewhere to Gunbower, I think, and um, won the cup on one of Jean Feast's horses when she used to train. And mm. um, 
they got me on the drink a bit later in the day and then no one could <laughs> find me and I was uh, Andrew Peace and Gavin and John Nicholson uh, found me and one of them was lifting me up and down out of the long grass going, have a look at this, he looks like a puppet. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, <laughs> it goes back to when I was a bit young and couldn't handle the drink. Yeah, and Chris, there's a lot of people who refer to you simply as puppet. I, I've been at Melton on occasions and you'll walk past and I'll hear somebody yell out, evening pup. <laughs> yeah, just just a name that stuck, really. Yeah, doesn't um, bother you? No. No, no. No, I think my sister's the only one that doesn't like anyone calling me that for some reason. But, um, ah. yeah, no, I, I don't mind. I've been called plenty worse, don't worry. <laughs> we mentioned uh, some of those episodes earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, you've had great success driving trotters and there's no doubt you've got away with them. Noopy Kiosk was a horse uh, that your dad trained. In fact, he drove him a lot too, didn't he, early in the piece? But you did win yeah, yeah. seven on him. Yeah, he was a, a great juvenile. I think, you know, people forget, I think he won like 28 of out of his first 30 starts and, and got knocked over in the other two. And, um, yeah, I drove him till Dad's eyesight, uh, after Dad's eyesight went a bit and um, mm. was lucky enough to win a few. He probably wasn't as, as good then, um, but he did win a heat of the end of Dominion and a, a few nice cups and that. Yeah. You got to drive the brilliant Keystone Dell in four of his Victorian wins. That horse won 42 races all up. Chris Blake Fitzpatrick uh, was on the podcast one day a couple of years ago and he said to me, Keystone Dell wasn't just the best trotter he's ever driven, he thinks he's the best horse he's driven. Yeah, he wouldn't be far off. Um, he he uh, was trained up in New South Wales by the Melanders and then they moved to Melbourne and I was lucky enough to get a few drives on him for a while and... Um, he was probably getting, you know, to the end of it by then. But um, yeah, he was—he just felt like a car. And yeah. um, I think then the lease ran out. He ended up going to Brent Lilies and won a, a few more races. And yeah. you know, for horse to win, you know, the amount of times that he did, you know, they don't come along that often. And um, yeah. I think he won like I think he won two or three of those big races that um, you know, like on Miracle Mile night for the Trotters and yeah. Um, yeah, he was just top class. Mm. And you won 18 races at the trot on a brilliant mare called Spider Girl. Yeah, she was she was good, naughty Spider Girl, we used to call her. Um, she won the two, three and four-year-old size stakes and, yeah, she, she was just a gem to drive and um, she probably retired um, before, she, before she got to really open age racing but... As a juvenile, there wasn't sort of nothing that could go with her. Mm. And more recently, one of your all-time personal favourites, Wobbly, winner of 24 races. You drove him in every one of them for his talented trainer, Alison Alford. He's racing yeah. currently. Yeah, no, he's been a good horse to us. He, um, When he first trialled, I thought, Oh well, he's going to be good enough to make the races, and mm. um, he just got beaten ahead his first start, um, and then his second start he was going to win. He led into the back straight and tried at the clerk of the course, and went went on the infield and galloped and <laughs> come back out again, and and then ran third. But uh, then he won, I think, about his next twelve in a row, and 
four four group ones yeah. uh, that year and, and was trotter of the year and um we we were lucky enough to take him to New Zealand. He ran third in the jewels over there to Winterfell, who come yeah. out and won the end of the end of Dominion. And mm. he, he sort of had a bit of trouble with his knees and that, which he missed pretty much all of his the last half of his three year old year. But um, you know, he won one hundred eighty thousand as a two year old, but he yeah. clocked over half a million um, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, oh. yeah, he's done an amazing job, really. Sure has. Now, special mention of the kids. Your darling daughter, Katie, who's coming up 15 now, was diagnosed a few years ago with a rare disease called neuroabramatosis, which was a dreadful shock for you and Alison at the time. Katie's doing wonderfully well, you tell me. It's a case of constant monitoring because early detection is the key. Yeah, pretty much. It's just a... Thing where your body's missing a chromosome and um, she can get tumours sort of anywhere in her body at any time. Um, she's probably pretty lucky. She's a, not as bad off as some kids and adults that end up getting it, but um, mm. she just has to have a, a check-up every six months to, to check for tumours and things like that. But um, mm. she's living a pretty normal life. She's at Pony Club at the moment. She loves her pony and, um, yeah, she she's right into that horse show stuff. Yeah, isn't it wonderful? What an incredible diversion for her. She hasn't got time to think about her problems. No, that's right. And and they said, you know, early on that she'd never be able to ride a bike and things like that, but she can do all that and, mm. and rides a horse as good as anyone, I'd say. And young Sam has very little interest in the equine species. No, nah, he, he's more of a sportsman. We've just been at the footy watching his footy. He kicked a couple of goals. Um, I think they got the win, which was good. And, uh, yeah, footy and cricket's his go at the moment. He did pony trots for a little while, but um, he liked just being a freelance driver, jumping on and jumping off the card. He didn't like the, the work in between, so he, he's focused on cricket and footy at the moment. Mm. Do you remember driving a horse for me at Harold Park one night, Chris? So- <laughs> yeah, we should have won. Oh, dear, I'll never forget. It's a long time ago now. I think it was around 2000, be 20 years. Horse's yeah, name yeah, was time. Riverly Blue. You gave him an absolute dream run. You were one out, one back. Coming to the turn, you're going to win easily. The horse behind yeah. the leader galloped and smashed you. Riverly Blue galloped and, uh, in fact, he cantered down the straight. And you yeah. very simply said to me when you got out of the cart, that's the one that got away. Yeah, there's always a, a story of how how to get beaten and that was probably one of the the worst ones, you know, when you know you're going to win and, and things like that happen. And, yeah. Um, yeah, he was a good little horse, that one. And, uh, yeah, that was one, as you said, that got away. So you were going to win easily. <laughs> For sure. Oh. Well, According to my calculations, you are currently sitting on the mind-boggling total of 7,638 career wins, which includes, as a matter of interest, 124 Group 1s. You've got a few more years yet, which gives you the opportunity to rack up a record which will stand the test of time. You're a ferociously hard worker. You're an exceptional horseman, 
and you're one of the most skillful trotting drivers in the history of the sport. And the fact that you're a decent bloke complements <laughs> all of those other attributes. Chris, it's been an absolute delight having you on the podcast today. No, thanks very much, John. You know, um, yeah, I've been very lucky with um, the support of, of owners and trainers right throughout my career and, and the great horses. You know, you don't get results like that unless you're driving good horses and um, hopefully you can carry on for a bit longer and I'm happy doing it. So uh, as long as I do the job properly, I'll keep at it. And it's been, been great talking to you. My special guest is a superstar of the sulky the one and only Chris Alford on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.